Before we begin, all this part is for free, uh, two things. Uh, I want you to think about the last time that you ran. So you, you have that in your mind right now, the last time you ran? So for some of you, it might have been this morning or, or yesterday. For some of you, it might have been 1982. Uh, but, but this passage, this song that we sing that we all love and like, I mean, it's loud and people are exciting and we need an exciting song today because it's Wide Awake Day at church. Uh, and so we need these exciting songs. But I, I think about that, I ran out of the grave. Like, I, that's... There's excitement there. There's energy there that, that I have victory through Jesus. And whether you haven't run in months or years, as one person in the first service said, it's been longer than that, <laughs> longer than years, uh, that, that, that we have victory in Jesus and we can get excited about that. We, we can uh, shout for joy. We, we can have uh, a, a joy-filled life and excitement in our faith because I have new life. Uh, I, I was dead without Christ and now I'm alive with Christ. And so just a little reminder day, maybe some encouragement for you this week to go out and jog around the block or at least to the end of the driveway uh, will be good. Well, today uh, we're going to talk about James chapter 4 and uh, fighting and quarreling and stuff that happens. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight uh, I, I've been in what I would call one and a half fights in my life. Uh, I'm going to tell you in detail about the half. Uh, the one, I was in fourth grade. It, it happened at a rodeo, <laughs> not the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, like a much smaller. Uh, anyway, a guy pushed me. I pushed him back. He pushed me again. I punched him in the mouth. Um, and yeah, I won. Uh, <laughs> What, what do I say? That was before I knew Jesus. Uh, but, but the second one actually occurred when I was a senior in high school. And uh, it was on a van. A, a white van. 15-passenger uh, van. Uh, heading back from a tennis tournament. And my best friend, one of, one of my two closest friends in high school was also, both of my closest friends were on the tennis team. Uh, one was my doubles partner and the other was one of my best friends who we actually became friends because I invited myself to his birthday party <laughs> when we were in sixth grade. Uh, we sat at the same lunch table. He was inviting everyone else and I said, hey, what about me? The rest is history. Like we're still friends today. Still friends today. I'm not shy most of the time. Uh, and so my senior year, uh, if, you, if you know me well, you, you know that, that I know how to push buttons. And I don't mean on the car. Uh, I, I mean push buttons uh, in your life and in others that I'm closest to. I, I know how uh, to make jokes and uh, at least one of my or two of my children have inherited that great quality. Uh, of knowing how to move and how to get under your skin. Well, I had done that with my best friend. I, I was needling him the whole way uh, back from this tournament. And all of a sudden, he just turns around, like leans over the seat and just punches me as hard as he can in the shoulder. And I started laughing. 
Now it hurt. Don't, don't you think it didn't? But he wasn't going to know that. And so I hit him back and then he hit me again and I laughed again and it was over. <laughs> that was it. It was done. And we actually didn't speak about it ever. It was just, that was, a, that was it. I, I don't remember the subject matter. I don't remember what I was teasing him about. I don't know what it was, but he was mad. I deserved it. I'm confident. And, and that was the end of the story. But we got in a fight, a, a quarrel over I'm not sure what, and it didn't last long, thank goodness. And, and I wonder how often we get into quarrels and fights and arguments and, and express frustration. And then 10 minutes later, an hour later, three days later, we have no idea. What was that about? Because it was so insignificant, so unimportant, so didn't matter. It was only about what I wanted in that moment. And because I didn't get what I wanted in that moment, I lashed out. Well, James speaks to us today about that very thing, how quarrels erupt in our midst. And so let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. He starts off with a question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, exclamation point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Uh, who your friends are matters I know I've said that a number of times over the course of my tenure here, but who your friends are matters. And James is telling us that when you have friendship with the world, it's a bad place to be. Who you're friends with matters. And being a friend is more than just an acquaintance, more than someone you just see in the hallway at school, more than someone who, who works at your company that you know they have an email address. More than that neighbor 15 houses down that drives X car and you see them once in a while. No, a, a friend is someone you embrace, someone you hang out with, you're comfortable with. They know you and you know them. And so James, as he writes this whole thing, really it's about your friendship it's about your connectedness. It's about who you're associated with and what you're associated with. And so as he writes here, he's saying it, it, the challenge really is, do you embrace the world or not? And the world is not a person 
or even a people group. The idea is not like, oh, there's a certain group of people that I'm friends with. No, the world, what he means here is that it's the word actually in Greek is cosmos. It's actually a system of values. It's a value system that we embrace. And so when you and I are friends with the world, we embrace a certain thought, a certain value system that is contrary to the word of God. It's when our culture says, you have your truth and I'll have my truth and we'll be okay. Your truth is good for you and my truth is good for me and I'll even accept your truth well, as long as it doesn't align with the Bible, then I don't like your truth. That's what the world says. But, but the world says you can believe what you want, I'm going to believe what I want, and we're all going to be good. That's a value system of the world. A value system of the world is that feelings drive our decisions, not reality. Feelings drive my decisions, not reality. So as long as I feel like I should do this, then it's okay. The world says it's okay to cheat a little, to lie a little, to give just enough to get by. The world says it's okay to quiet quit. I just take the paycheck and sort of show up but don't do anything. That's the world system. So when we embrace the world systems, we embrace those things that are contrary to what God desires. And James says, if you want to know the root of the problem, that's the issue, is that our friendship with the world has created this conflict. And, and then the argument might be, well, come on now, Jesus was a friend to sinners. Jesus stepped into the world and its value system and we follow Jesus. So why can't I just step into the world system? Because I love Jesus. Jesus is with me, so it's okay. Jesus stepped into the world so that he could redeem the world. So that he could call people out of their sins. So he could call them out of the world systems. He called them for redemption, not affirmation. And our world wants us to simply affirm everything. And Jesus called folks out of the world for redemption. The struggle is friendship with the world doesn't just happen automatically. It actually starts within us. Our friendship with the world doesn't usually start with the world, it starts with us. Because there is a war going on inside of you for your allegiance. There's a war for your allegiance. The passion within us, he says at the end of verse 2, the passions that are within you are at war. And that phrase, passion, the word desire is the word, it's a Greek word that translates almost directly into English. We get our word hedonism which means the, the pursuit of pleasure, selfish desires, enjoyment. Our chief goal is my own pleasure. It says that passion, that desire, that's the problem. That's the war going on, that there's a war for your allegiance, there's a war for your passions. And the Bible uses this word three times and 
all three cases, it's a negative connotation. But that's most of our goal, right? My goal is to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be satisfied. I want to feel good. I want to be pleased with myself. You ever been pleased with yourself? Like, oh, hey, look at what I did. I'm so good. Like we, we like get excited about what we are and who we are. And we're just like, oh, hey, pat ourselves on the back. And we look in the mirror a little longer. We were at the rodeo the other night. I, I wish, like I'm not quick enough with my camera. I'm sure it's an age issue. But I, I walked into the restroom at the stadium and I don't, men, you've probably, I don't know if it's like this in the ladies' restroom, but you walk in, and as soon as you walk in the restroom, on the wall is a mirror, and then you turn the corner to actually go use all the facilities. Well, I turn the corner to look, go in, and there's a young man standing in front of the mirror, an employee, and he's dancing. <laughs> and then he's like, he's primping, you know, like, hey, look at me. Nobody in the restroom. But he's excited to be in there by himself, just looking good. <laughs> he was pleased with himself, right? He was glad to be there, working as a bathroom attendant at NRG. We're all like that. And that's what... James is getting at, there's this war within us to be so focused on our own pleasure and excitement and selfishness that somehow, some way, that leads to challenge and difficulty because your sinful nature is at war with your spiritual nature. And you know who we have to thank for that? Not just ourselves because we create our own messes, but thank you, Adam and Eve, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They allowed the delight of their eye, the delight of their eye to overpower the truth of God's word. They allowed their eyes to forget what God had spoken to them. And that's the war, that's the battle. Because it's not a battle of flesh and blood, as the Bible says, it's a battle of the principalities. It's a spiritual war, not a physical war. And, and for the non-Christian, if you're here today in person or online and you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you haven't trusted him as your savior, that battle is a very simple one. It's, it's convincing you that you're okay. That you really don't need redemption. Your beliefs and your actions are, are fine. It's all right. When you die, just you'll die. Nothing will happen. You don't need forgiveness. You don't need redemption. If you're a Christian here today, it's, it's probably one of two things. It might be that that war going on inside of you is a constant bringing up of your failures, that you're not good enough for God's love, that, that you've messed up all these times since you've placed your faith in Jesus and pr probably he can't use you. And so just, just keep doing what you're doing. Just live like your old way because God's not really paying attention to you anyway. Or he's telling you that 
your friendship with the world isn't so bad. That it's okay. It's all right that you dabble in what the world is doing. Nobody's perfect. We know that's to be true, and so we just embrace that cheap grace. And James is trying to remind us that this battle that's going on is not just a simple battle just to be dismissed. No, this is a real battle. And all the while that is happening, God is on the other side saying in a small, quiet voice, reminding you that if you're a follower of Christ, that you're a child of the King, that he's created you for more, that he offers you grace and fullness of life, that there is forgiveness available if you don't have a relationship with him, that you can put the old life behind and create a brand new life through his strength and power, that you don't need to exchange the the grace and the power of Jesus for some cheap imitation that lasts for a moment. That's what he's saying to us. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, that each one of us has to ask is, do I have some personal desire that I'm protecting? Is there some personal desire in my life that I'm protecting and I want God to stay away from because it makes me feel good, because it's what I want? Or maybe... I need to ask myself that there's some selfish pleasure, some desire out there that I want, and I'm doing whatever I can to achieve it, no matter what God says. That's the battle going on within us, the battle for our allegiance. James uses that word desire as a, as a wanting, a longing. And it actually doesn't take very much time for that internal battle, that, that longing that's within us, that divided loyalty to actually go public. It doesn't take long for that to go public. Because though the the battle might begin within us, it doesn't take long to spread around us. It doesn't take long. The battle within often goes public and it goes public quickly. Because look back at verse one. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Among you, not within you, among you. Well, the thing that causes fights and quarrels among us is the selfish desires in us. And so the things that I want, when they don't match what you want, we have trouble. When my selfish desires meet yours, there's conflict. And let me remind you, who is he talking to? Is he talking to to a bunch of non-believers, a bunch of people who are outside the church? No, he's talking to Christians, people who claim the name of Jesus, And maybe these quarrels that he's talking about, maybe these fights are about different teachers and who is the better teacher. Maybe there's some factions within the church. Or perhaps there's some worldly activity going on among the members. That they've got one foot in the world and and one foot in the church. Maybe there are some who covet. We look at what everybody else has and say, how come we don't have what they have? And so then we go after that. We want their relationship. We want their grades. We want their job. We want their house. We want their thing. We want their perfect life as described on social media. We're not awake today, are we? 
We want their perfect life that they show on social media. That's what we want. Because we don't see what's behind the door. We only see the 15th photo that they got perfect. The 14 before that, they deleted. I got practicing that the other night at the rodeo. We took five photos to get one right. Like, why is that? But we want that. We want that perfection that everyone else has. And when I don't get what I want, that's when the battles start. In the church, how does that play out? Sometimes that plays out in not getting the recognition you think you deserve. Look what all I've done. Do you know how many tables I stacked? Do you know how many chairs I... Do you know how often I'm here? Look what I do for the church. How come they, there's that mysterious they, how come they get noticed? Or maybe you love drama. And I don't mean dramas on TV. You love drama and you create it. And you just stir the pot. Or maybe you're out at a restaurant and your order didn't come exactly right. And so you start a quarrel because you have to have it your way and you weren't at Burger King. (laughs) Or maybe you're having a conversation and the conversation doesn't go how you want it to go. And so you have a snippy remark and that snippy remark turns into a snippy response And then all of a sudden, you're in an argument over something that you won't remember the next day. That's the battle. That's what God is calling us to walk away from. Because what does it lead to? This is the the strange part. Verse 2 says, your desires, what do they lead to? They lead to murder. Don't raise your hand, please. I hope no one in this room has murdered anyone. Like you might have concealed carry, but you're not going to go that far. Right? That, he, he says you're, you're murderers. Now, that's not a physical killing, but killing and coveting, killing and quarrels go hand in hand. And maybe you murder someone with your words because they have what you want. Maybe they didn't act like you wanted them to. Maybe they didn't give you the right answer. They talked to the wrong person and didn't speak to you. You ever had that happen? You talked to somebody and because you didn't speak to somebody else, they got angry at you? That never happens to pastors. (laughs) And it becomes a quarrel. And so now you allow pettiness and wooliness to step in. And so you murder someone with your words. You murder them by holding hatred in your heart. You murder them with with bitterness in your heart. It says no. Because when you and I, 
hold on to things, when we protect ourselves from the things of God, when, when we don't get what we want, and so then we make enemies of others, and that selfish battle that's going on inside of us becomes public all of a sudden, then you know what we are? We're not just enemies of one another. We're not just mad at each other. We're not just having an argument among each other. No, we're now an enemy of God. Our desires make us an enemy of God. These selfish, hedonistic desires, coveting, envy, jealousy, fights, quarrels, murderous words, they all make us, they put us in direct opposition to God. So much so that he calls us, in verse 4, adulterous people. Do you know what an adulterer is? An adulterer is someone who cheats on their spouse. A cheater, not just like I cheated in history. No, I cheated on my spouse. He calls these folks in James's time prostitutes. Jeremiah does the same thing in Jeremiah 3 when he talks about the nation of Israel. They had forsaken God. He actually used a much, uses a much more vivid word than prostitute when we're an enemy of God, that, that I'm an adulterous person when I allow the battle within me to spill over into quarrels and fights. It's like I've cheated on God. I've, we've acted like a prostitute. And so how, how can we expect to live for the world? How can we expect to live like the world and think that God will give us heaven on earth. How can we expect that? But that's what we do. We expect God to give us everything we long for, everything we desire. We, we just want happiness and peace and joy and plenty of money in the bank account and kids that don't mess up ever and make perfect grades. And yet, all we do is fight and quarrel. And we think, God, where are you? What are you doing? Because as I look at the Bible, as I look through the Bible, the enemies of God usually don't fare very well. Like throughout the history of Scripture, the enemies of God don't make it. They don't last. And so that's the last thing I want to be is an enemy of God. And these quarrels and fights, this battle within us. It's empty and vain. It's worthless. And James, as he writes, he, he says it's when we cheat on God, when we follow after the world, when we allow the, the, the joys of the world to replace the joy of the Lord, we act as if his love has no purpose. That's what verse 5 is all about. That his love has no purpose. When just the opposite is true. When just the opposite is true. He longs for you to experience his goodness. He, God longs for you and I to experience his grace and love. His lavish love. His unconditional love. His love that, that's so indescribable that the Hebrews don't even have the right word for it as it translates. We, we can't even... We can't even say, we don't have a word that matches how great God's love is for us. 
And he wants us to experience that goodness because he's the author of pleasure. He knows we all want to to feel good. He knows that, but he also knows that usually we seek that pleasure and that goodness in the wrong ways, in the wrong places. And he wants to give us pure joy, real pleasure, true peace that only he can give. Psalm 37, 4 says it this way, Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Most of us only want the second half of that verse. He will give you the desires of your heart. That's usually what most of us want. But if you and I would, would pay attention and lean into the first part, delight yourself in the Lord, right, there's that word again, delight, pleasure, experience, the, the power and the love of God. Then he will give you the desires of your heart. You know why? Because your desires will actually match his desires. If I'm delighting in the Lord, then I'm going to be enthusiastic about what he wants. I'm going to be thrilled with the things that, that he's thrilled with. I'm going to weep over the things that he weeps over. I'm going to have compassion in those areas that I need compassion for. I, I'm going to stand on truth. I'm going to pursue righteousness. And when those things happen, when I delight myself in the Lord, then the desires of my heart are actually going to be the right desires. And there won't be a war going on inside of me. No, there'll be peace. And there'll be clear direction. There'll be a path to follow. Because you and I were not designed to love God and love something else like God. Matthew says we weren't designed to serve two masters. We weren't designed that way. Because our God is a a jealous God. And most of us, we think of that word jealousy as a negative word, and often it is. It's maybe even a mean-spirited word. But but in the case of God's love, it's not mean-spirited. No, it's, it's about exclusivity. We are the pinnacle. We, you, are the pinnacle of God's creation. The pinnacle of God's creation. You're the greatest of all creation. And he loves you. He loves you so much, unconditionally, that he wants you and me for himself. He wants you and me for himself. St. Augustine, the great church father, said it this way, he that is not jealous is not in love. He that is not jealous is not in love. There are certain loves that should not be shared. If you're married today, just ask your spouse about that one. If it's okay with him or her to share your love with someone else not named your children, the answer is no. No. Back to our adulterous people comment. Right? There are certain loves that are not to be shared. Our love for the Lord is not to be shared with the world. And so let's be a people who pursue him rather than our own goodness. Like most of us just want our lives to be easy and God to handle all the difficulties and no chaos. The challenge is the world doesn't operate that way. See Adam and Eve again. See the first part of James that we've been through. But when you and I refuse 
to accept the invitation of the world to be its friend. And we pursue a love relationship with God. You know what happens? Peace. Because otherwise, we're at war. The opposite of war is peace. And so if you want peace in your life, there's one solution. Pursue the God who loves you without condition. If you want peace, surrender your will, your desires, your selfish ambition to him. Because isn't life better when it's peaceful? Yes is the answer to that question, in case you weren't sure. It is better. Life is better peaceful. Because you think about in your own home, when it's quiet, maybe the only time that happens is when everyone is asleep. But there's something unique about those moments when there's peace. There's something unique about those moments when everyone in your home or in your friend group or in your sphere of influence in that moment, no matter the situation, there's something unique and special when there's not fighting, when there's not disagreement, when there's not frustration, when there's not coveting, when there's not you said, he said, she said, all of that. And whether you're 14 or 64, those moments happen every day all the time where we have an opportunity to either step into a battle because we want our way or whether to live at peace because we delight ourselves in the Lord. We don't have to engage in the battle if we're pursuing Jesus and his righteousness. And so my call to all of us is to make it our passion, right? That, that's the word. Make it your passion. Make it your heartfelt desire, your longing to run headlong after Jesus and pursue his righteousness. In those moments where you see an opportunity to be friends with the world, when you have an opportunity to get your way and to stand on your ground, be a person of peace. Be a person who is a person of calm, not quarrel. A person who uses words to uplift and not kill. To be a person who doesn't pretend like God's spirit living in you isn't real. That's what James is getting at. That we would be people who live at peace with one another because there's not a battle going on inside. So pursue his righteousness. Pursue his love. And live at peace with yourself and with those around you. Will you pray with me?